Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Greetings and salutations, good people. Yup, yup, yup. Welcome back to another episode of Market Mondays. So now we're back to where we never left. Legendary vibes. You know how we do. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a big one. Big show today. Big, big, big show. Let everybody pal in. Shout out to everybody out there all over the world. The team here. Shout out to you too. Shout out to EYL University. Shout out to the earners. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is this is a big one, man. We got a looking clean on there. Shout out to YouTube. Look at me. They got something clean. We got a we got a special guest. We have Pop, what up? We have, of course, Mr. Ian Dunlap back. And it's, it's, it's going to be something special. So let's get right into it. Um, this is a big week for Ernie Elysia. We have none other. Is Ian on yet? Yeah, either. We have none other than the legendary Killer Mike will be our guest tomorrow for the for the show. What's going on, brother? Happy Monday. Thank God it's Monday. Y'all looking sharp, man. They got us looking clean, right? Oh, they, they must have... Uh, yeah. Okay, on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, man, just just trying to make it out here, man. Just trying to make it. I'm out to get all my hoodie and jogging pants orders in. 
that's on the way. Yeah, man. We got the merch. We got the merch. Shout out to everybody out there showing love on the merch. Um, yeah, that's something that we're working hard on, and we're gonna we're gonna release some new some new things coming real soon. So yeah, just to give you a quick rundown of our week is crazy. We got Killer Mike tomorrow. Um, that's a dope, dope episode. It's so gonna be legendary. Yeah, legendary situation for yeah. sure. Shout out to Killer Mike. Shout out to everybody. Shout at the out swag. to Edgewood, man. Shout out to Edgewood, man. <laughs> Yo, if you from Atlanta, man, you know that Edgewood, the legendary, historic Edgewood, man. We was out there. Yeah, interesting. That was, that was a that's that's interesting. <laughs> I said, yo, Shawty, park the car. He said, yo, come with me. I said, all right, man, I got you. Edgewood Edge after <laughs> dark. Different. We go anywhere for an interview, man. We'll do it yeah. different. Yeah, we'll go anywhere. We we travel, man. The equipment travel, too, so. Yeah, shout out, shout out to everybody in Black Barbershop. We got that done. That was that was really, really dope for us. And shout out to Killer Mike, man. Just a really, really authentic, good, good dude, man. Solid, solid dude. Shout out to his wife. She came through also at the end. Um... Killer Mike, man, very, very smart, smart guy. So yeah, man, historian. That dude is a historian. Like that dude is literally like an encyclopedia when it comes to the information, man. Especially when it comes to the city of Atlanta and the state of Georgia, man. He he's the go-to guy if you need to know. He that. loves Atlanta. Oh my gosh, yeah. Oh. Legendary family too. Yeah, man. Like he said, he he he's been um he's been an activist since he was 15 years old. And like when you hear him speaking, when y'all hear the interview. It'll be very evident that he's he's one hundred percent authentic about that. Nah, he's a real deal, man. So shout out to Killer Mike. So that's that's tomorrow, and then um, we have um, we also have the legendary in his own right, yeah, Chris Senegal from from your neck of the woods, Houston, Texas. Um, Legend. He, yeah, <laughs> he's doing an open. So once a month, we do like every last Wednesday in a month, we do an open enrollment, EYL University class, which is open to the public. Um, and that's on Wednesday at 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. He's going he's going to give a presentation, a teaching class about how to buy back the block. Everybody says that. It's real trendy. But he's actually has done that. In yeah. um, the Fifth Ward in Houston, it's like, you know, Jay Prince, and then he's right there. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. We Legendary. Seen it firsthand. Like, this dude literally bought the block. Yeah, Shout out to the fifth ward. So that that'll be on YouTube at, five, at uh, eight o'clock on Wednesday. Make sure y'all check that out. And um, yeah, we're gonna get into it. We got we got dope dope guests, um, Bonowin, Ison. Uh, so this is the first time that we we've done anything with um, somebody from CNBC. If anybody watches, you obviously know that we're all real big fans of CNBC. Uh, I've been watching CNBC for for years. I follow their Instagram page. They got a lot of dope content. So. Bonowin is a, a contributor. He's a contributor to Fast Money, um, one of the most popular shows on CNBC, mm-hmm. and he's also a managing director of equity derivatives at XP Investments. Um, so, you know, we'll have a long, long conversation with him, but um, I'm excited about having that conversation and, and bridging that gap um, with CNBC and with, with him, and I'm sure it's going to be a legendary conversation. So. Yeah. Before we bring him, kudos to the CNBC family and everybody at NBC Universal. <laughs> hey, bro. hey, hey, good. Hello, how, how you doing? <laughs> so, Ian, man, what's what's going on, brother? I'm good. Happy to be here. I'm very um, excited about tonight because uh, I don't think they know how long he's been on CNBC. I think it's been nine or ten years. So, I'm gonna be in full Tavis Oprah mode tonight. <laughs> so, everybody in Zoom, YouTube, I may get about twelve or thirteen off. So, don't kill me. <laughs> um, but I, I promise I'll ask some good questions to give you guys some good answers, especially since we dropped hard today, which I said we would two weeks ago. 
That's a fact. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to be here. I think today's show is going to be record breaking. And it's a big week too. It's a big week. Yeah. It's a big week in, in, in the stock market. We got our, our big things reporting this week. So that's, that's always an interesting time. Yeah, for sure. So Troy, you want to go over the um, disclaimer? Yeah, yeah. And we spoke about this yesterday, actually, in our book club. Shout out to all the earners that were in the book club. We started Money Master the Game. Like, do your own research. Please do your own homework. That is so vitally important. Our content is intended to be used and must be used for informational purposes only. It's very important to do your own analysis before making any investment based on your own personal circumstances. You should take independent financial advice from a professional in connection with or independently research, verify any information that you find on our show and wish to rely upon, whether for the purpose of making an investment decision or otherwise. This message is brought to you by the good folks at Earn Your Leisure. Yeah, for sure. Shout out to Weezy and shout out to Drake on the, on the album covers. Oh, yeah, it was a cat. I, it was a cat. It was uh, his birthday. Young the Money. Other day. Yeah, yeah, shout, shout out to, to the great one. Changed the game a whole lot. Yeah, that's a fact. Um. So yeah, let's let's get into it. Let's get into it. Ian, um, let's get later. Let's jump right into it. Um, let me share, and I promise I won't kill Zone. Uh, <laughs> Moving slow in the mouse. Everybody on YouTube, what up? I love you guys. Shout out to the Red Panda family. You guys are absolutely amazing. All right, let's go. Let me know if you guys can see my screen, then I'll start. You got yeah, you. We, we got, got you, bro. Okay, perfect. So, of course, we had a drop today, and I want to give you some context of where we are right now in terms of the market cycle that we are going through. It's fun when the market is going up, but when it slides down, everyone's like, oh, my God, I hate this part of investing, but it is a part of the game that we all are going to go through. So I want to give you some context. So where exactly are we? The thing I need you to take away from today is I don't want you to confuse a bad week or a bad day in the market with an actual bad performing market. We're really just coming off highs. But of course, COVID is kicking back up. Election concerns are right around the corner. We're not exactly sure who is going to be our leader. And that is making the market a little bit timid. And that's the part of the reason why we slid down today and why I said two weeks ago, we were going to come down. These are the levels that I'm watching. So for everyone watching at home, please get out your camera and screenshot this. As long as the S&P future stays between 3205.50 to 3397, kudos to Kayla, uh, happy anniversary to you. Dow, as long as the Dow stays above 26,500, and as long as the NASDAQ future stays above 10,624.75 to 11,544.75, we are okay. Somebody just said it in YouTube, five to 10 years from now, we will not care about any of this. But if the Dow drops below 3205.50, that's when I'm going to say, okay, we may be on for a wild ride. So if you guys have that screenshot, I'll go to the next slide and just say yes for me in chat. But these are the key levels to watch. And for those of you on E-Trade, TD Ameritrade, please set an alert here. So if we fall below, you know that some of the stocks that we've been waiting to load the boat on will be on sale. This for my new investors, this is a key lesson. The market will not run up indefinitely to the upside. I know it was fun in April and May, and I know it was fun in August when the market was running like crazy, but this is the after effect. When things are not certain, when the economy is not strong. So the stock market has done great, but the economy is not doing well. The slide begins to happen for all my traders. Now you have to start to look to short a little bit more as well. 
So the market will in time go back up, but every single week is not going to go up week after week. And if we crash before the end of the year, what should we do? We should recover in the first quarter of 2021. So I'm going to give you some dates and give you some facts to tell you when this has happened. So in 1987, 1990, October of 1999, the market fell apart in the last quarter of the year and they recovered the following year. This also happened in the end of 2015, the end of 2016. And it was really scary in 2018 when we had a sharp dip. And then January of 2019 came around and we ran off to the upside and it was quite amazing. So for those of you that are new, that are experiencing this for the first time, the route will be rough for a couple of weeks. And then after that, everything will smooth out for us. When have we not recovered? So I want to give you context for that as well. So when you tie in the dot-com crash of 2000 paired with uh, the tragedy that happened of 2011, that's when we did not recover in the first quarter of the new year. And then also in a great recession, I think we, there's enough historians and documentaries about that, about why we did not recover. But those are the two only two instances in modern history where if we drop a lot in fourth quarter that we won't recover in the first quarter of the next year. So um, typically, with a question that people have, how do I feel about gold? Gold is good, but gold, as we talked about, has been running up with the rest of the market, so it's too high. You can look at the ticker GLD, which is the most popular ETF tied to gold. Gold is gonna slide down as well. The bond market is a good hedge, even though, We'll talk about it later, and I'll let Rashad Troy and our special guest talk about the bond market as well. But the bond market was too high as well. The only true inverted correlation with the market is the VIX. So I'll save the answer for that later. But gold is a good hedge. Thank you for this question. Um, what do you do when you buy low? This is a great question. But you want to buy more or you buy more and your average price keeps increasing. There's only one or two things you can do. You can dollar cost average, and you are going to see your average share price increase, or you can completely just load the boat, wait for one particular area, and only buy if it gets to that spot. Now, if you have the ability to buy 2,000, 1,000 shares, 3,000 shares, it would be great to load the boat. I know Trapper waited for Chipotle, as he calls it, <laughs> uh, for, for, I think, three years to get to a spot. And that's fine if you have enough capital, you can wait for the market to drop to an exact area. What happens a lot of times is when people do this, you end up missing the mark or it's short, or when it gets to your level, you're afraid because now it's dropped 15%, 20%, and now you think that it's going to bleed down 10% more. You don't do it. And what happens? Four years later, you're like, man, I was waiting for the stock at 220. Now it's at 600. So if you have the discipline, to wait for one spot, great, but there's nothing wrong with dollar cost averaging because it's better to be in the move than not. What are my thoughts on robo-advisors? I think they're great. We talked about this before with Vanguard. I think the most important thing is to make sure you're getting into good indexes or good ETFs that have low expense ratios. Don't buy into the hype of any particular company. Just make sure to do your research. And for those of you in Canada, you guys can look into Wealthsimple. They have some good options for you. But robo-advisors are very good if you select the right things. Another amazing question that I received this week. With uncertainty in the housing market due to lack of stimulus, 
and homeowners heading into foreclosure. Do uh, do I see this affecting home builders and retail short term and long term? The stock market, excuse me, the housing market is so hot. I don't see any issues of a housing crash anytime soon. Commercial is going to be the thing that I'm worried about. For anyone with properties, they will tell you this is one of the greatest markets that we've seen. And because people are moving out of urban areas and going and back into the suburbs, there's not enough inventory. So even with the housing market being the way that it is and the stimulus market not being here, there are people, this feels like 2007 all over again with some of the hype in some of these cities, Houston and Atlanta uh, being one of them. So I don't think that the housing market would be greatly affected or it would do the exact opposite as it has been doing. Uh, what are my thoughts on compound interest? I think we all have heard the quote that compound interest is, a, is the eighth wonder of the world. But I think one of the things that we neglect to talk about is compound interest on the negative side. So this is why you'll hear a scream not to buy bad companies. Because let's say if you're averaging a negative 12 to 25%, let's just say negative 12%. What is the compound interest if you do that for three or four years in bad companies? Now, for those of us that have traded, we all know we can draw down negative 12% in a week, a quarter, sometimes in a day. But I think compound interest is great. We all have heard of the rule of 72. If you haven't, let that be your first homework assignment for tonight to Google that. But I want us to play defense while the market is falling so we don't have compound interest working against us. Um, and what's the best place to learn about different sectors? We talked about that before, but here's some homework for you. There are 11 key sectors. The homework item that I want you to do is from a numerical order. I want you to tell me which sectors have performed the best over the last 20 years. So this is the part of where everyone says, hey, I want you to teach me how to fish. This is our first lesson for tonight where you have to get into the boat and cast your rod. Um, should I focus on quarterly goals? No. No, I know earnings are very popular. It provides some volatility, but I think one of the biggest mistakes that corporations have made, and they have to play this earnings game, but I think it stifles, uh, or stifles, excuse me, stifles innovation. Because when you're trying to keep up with your competition on a quarter by quarter basis, I think it leads you to make some decisions that you would not make if you had a year or two to flesh out a full idea. So for all of you that are looking month to month or quarter to quarter, it's not the best judge. That's why I tell you the first metric, if you have a good company, is you should be looking five years out to see what the potential return could be. Thoughts on Sunoco? So I can't, you know, tell you what to do, but when we, and it happened today, I want you guys, please type this in ch chat. Ten years. Anytime that you want to get the perspective on if a company is doing well, look back ten years. Sun is not doing well. And has not done well. So if we, if I look at the chart real quick, let me type it in. And we go and look back over time, we can see, and I'll just do 20 years really quick and pull it up. The high for that company was $59.99 back in 2014. And it's now at 25 bucks. Is that an asset that you will want to hold in your portfolio? Put yes or no. I want my assets to rise over time. And it's interesting, like, we will hate something that gains 7 to 12% per year, but if something's down 30% or 40%, we think it's a good investment. Good company, just not a great stock to invest in.
And we'll talk about this with our amazing guest tonight about what do we think about what will happen after the election. I know these next two weeks will be scary. But if we look at history, history tells us what happens after an election. For those of you that are voting for Biden, uh, Democrats have historically done well in the stock market. Uh, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton being two prominent examples, although the taxes are dramatically high. Shout out to 50. I don't agree with what you said, but shout out to you. <laughs> um, you reverse the court on that. <laughs> yes. Well, th- thank God, 50, because uh, those stars uh, subscription was going to get canceled. So, <laughs> um, but and then under Republican leadership, there's usually a spike and then we settle back and we end up in either recession or we have like an economic pullback. And there are pros and cons to both. But I want you guys to historically look and let's take the political WWE stuff away. Just look at the numbers. Look and see what happens when each person is under administration and how it affects the market. But I think after election is settled and into the next year, even though the economy won't be the best because of COVID, and then we'll do a smaller version of shutdowns, not at mass scale, how we did in March and April, um, the stock market would do well. I know you guys have asked me a lot about trading plans, but since we have a, a great guest tonight, I'll wait until next week to cover that. And I want to highlight this. So real estate, um, excuse me, the, the retail investors pushed the market up after stimulus because a lot of us that missed out on 2008 and 2009 did not want this opportunity to pass. For those of you that are new and for our first time listeners, I appreciate you. But what I want to make sure I deliver to you tonight is that your chance to get into the market will not pass. The great thing for you is that since the market is at a high and it's sliding down, you will have opportunity to get in. All you have to do is wait. I know it can be FOMO-inducing to watch CNBC or even watch us and watch everything online. It's like, man, I missed out. I can't believe I missed out in March. But you will have your chance. I just want you to stay disciplined and wait for your spot, regardless of what you see other people doing. But I want to remind you, the purpose of investing is freedom. Can you guys please put in chat freedom? Freedom. Go back to some some of our things that we talked about last week. So I want to ask you guys a couple questions because freedom, it sounds good. And it's a um, financial freedom and generational wealth is a hot talking point in our community. But I want you to make a decision. Like if tonight, if you had all the money in the world, what would you do with that time that you have? Mm. Whatever that is, you need to gear your life to be able to do that. That's, I want you to take a moment to put it in chat. Go ahead. That's that's crazy because we literally. Like, this is a conversation that we just had yesterday. It was like, yo, where are we spending our time, and are we overvaluing ourselves? Right? Because if we overvalue ourselves, then we're saying that our time is not worth what we're saying it is. And if it isn't, then we need to focus our time on what is going to bring value to us and the people around us. So, Yesterday we're in the book club. Yeah, yeah, everybody in the book club. Yeah, they, they was going <laughs> with that. It was dope. But this is exactly what we were talking about. What's the freedom price? And uh, I think me and G was going back and forth. He was saying, is it a value thing or is it a monetary thing? Which is, I mean, that's up for debate, but like everybody should start having that thing and that, that, that kind of mindset that was like, all right, well, and I, I used the example of being a teacher. It was like, look, are we going to work to 66 and we're in our 30s? Like, that doesn't even sound fathomable to me and maybe it does to other people, but it just was like, yeah, that doesn't sound, that sounds crazy to me. And so retirement to me wasn't an age. It was more of like a value. 
Like, mm-hmm. what is the value I have to get to in order to retire? Not like, yo, I'm 65 and now I can get, so I'm closer to Social Security and now my pension will be the average of the last three years that I worked. And I'm just like, yo, that, that type of game is being played. And it's like, I wanted people to really realize it. So I'm, I'm glad that you brought it up because we spoke about freedom and, and uh, the, the freedom prices. So this is dope. Because if you have all the money in the world and you just sit at home and do nothing, you're going to be bored. I know some people are like, hey, give me the option to do that. But if you've ever been off for a month or two, after three weeks, you're bored as hell. If you've been on vacation for two weeks, you're like, okay, there, I need to do something else. So this frames your motivation and helps you define it. So even if you don't know, whatever comes to your mind first, if you were not judged, write that down. Because that's going to push you on the days when it's tough and you don't feel like sticking to a plan. The second question, who would you spend time with? I know a lot of people are going to say kids, family, friends, um, significant others, spouses, but you have to decide, okay, after I know what I want to do, who are you going to spend your time with? So when we're done with tonight, I want you to go call those people. I don't want us to get so busy that we forget that our family, and that's why I always say, on my deathbed, I'm not going to care about any conference call that I miss any email. I try and pick up the phone every time my mom and dad calls or my friend calls, like, because if something happens, and then being to so many funerals, I've never been at a funeral and was like, damn, I wish I was on Zoom talking about business. But the people that are most valuable in our life, we often can take for granted for monetary pursuits. I don't want you to make that mistake. So please write down three or four people that you will want to spend that time with if you have the freedom that you want it. And this is a question that really gets some clear answers. If you only had two years to live, what would you do? Now I know what Mace would do if he had 24 hours to live. I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what you would do if you only had two years to live. I take a look for my dad that I never knew. The hey, kudos to Betha. <laughs> Shout out to Betha, man. You have to know this. This will frame what freedom is for. Because getting to a monetary goal alone, okay, great once you get it, but money with no friends, no family, you don't want to turn into Uncle Scrooge. That's not what we're aiming for. And then finally, I posted this to earlier on Instagram, but what is your perfect schedule on a day-to-day basis? And kudos to Tiffany. Um, what does your perfect day blueprint look like? Whatever that is, do that. Because some of these things we can start to do now if we choose to. So, and once you map out your life, it's amazing when you f- start to stick to the schedule, the freedom that you want and sticking to a plan, some of those dreams that you have begin to manifest. So even like on IG, I know you guys have been asking me about the a future, free futures program. We'll talk about that tonight. But it's not that I am ignoring you, um, but I want to soak in every moment I can with my family, my brother and Xander, like everyone that I love. So it's not that I'm avoiding you. Um, it's just that I am following my own personal personal schedule. So I've really been racking my brain, like why the hell don't people want to stick to an easy plan? I think like indexing or ETFs combined with some of the sectors that we talked about, whether they're consumer discretionary or tech, is like one of the easiest plans. But I've talked to probably 300 people in the last like 20 days about this. And it pairs down to 
people invest for three different reasons because everyone isn't investing for freedom. Uh, some people are investing for safety. So type in chat if you are investing for safety. You want to put your money into a vehicle in which you do not lose money or you are doing better than inflation. Bucket two is some people are investing for growth or freedom. So you're trying to get to freedom or retirement early, right? And then the third one is one of the most dangerous. Some of us are investing for excitement alone. That's where the overtrading comes from, the overinvesting, having too many companies in a portfolio. And we've all been there. We hear of a hot stock, you know, so, so a guy decides to take hydrogen and put it into a truck and say that he's going to be the new Elon. And <laughs> Hey, I think this is the one, man. I missed out on Tesla. This one I'm going to ride with. And then it falls apart. So you have to pick out of these three. Are you investing for safety? Are you investing for growth or freedom? Or are you just investing just to purely be excited? I think there are a lot of other things you can do to have excitement in your life besides investing. Grab your pen and a sheet of paper or grab your phone. And I want to tell you something that helped me. Um, I talked about my cousin Rick last week. Ariel, how are you? I love you. Uh, Tammy, I love you. Um, Kai G, love you. Um, there are four key areas in life that we have to focus on. And there are these. So I want you to write down mentally on a scale of one to 10, one being great, 10 being not so good. How do you feel physically? Same thing, one to 10, how do you feel? Emotionally, one to 10, how do you feel? And then spiritually, one to 10, how do you feel? And tonight, I want you to make one goal for each of these. So for me, mentally, to meditate and pray every day and then be disconnected from the internet four hours a day is key. Physically, you guys already know, the working out every day, because if I don't beat this goal by December 24th, I'm after about 2,500 scholarships, so that gives me a good challenge. Um, emotionally is not to take in any toxic media or have any unpeaceful conversations and then spiritually to grow and learn one thing in this area each day so I can become a better person um, overall and this is probably going to be my favorite subject of the night the VIX I know most people fear the VIX and when you see it come up on CNBC you're like oh my god the market is falling apart but the VIX is the easiest way to measure where the market is. And I'm going to give you a key level tonight that will help you. But so if we look at VIX, it's just measuring how afraid people are in the market. The key level that you have to keep your eyes on is $47 for VIX. So we, we came up a little bit today, yeah. but until we get to 47, we're not really in a danger territory. Please write this down and please keep your eyes on this. In the 30s, it's uncomfortable. Great. 47, that's when I'm starting to say, I smell smoke. I think the house is on fire. That's a key level. And then if we look historically, which, you know, I love to go back and look at the entire skate, scope of things. In 2008, it got to 89.53. And then even during the COVID crash, it got to 85. Yeah, that is the entire block is on fire number. The 80s. That's when everyone is uncomfortable. Even seasoned investors in the 80s are uncomfortable if the VIX gets there. But if we break 47, that's when you would need to start to get worried a little bit. And I'll speak this up so we can get our guests on. 
Um, the owner of the 4% rule. So Rashada talked about this before, whatever you have in your retirement, you live off 4% a year. The guy that made that famous, he said, we should adjust and go to 5% a year. Okay. And then I want you guys to screenshot this and the six laws of wealth that you have to follow. Cause the thing that I want to give you is all the blueprints that you need and structure. So you don't have to think. Because a lot of times on our investing journey, we're searching for the answers. But if we have the answers in front of us, it puts all that accountability on us. So first thing first, I need you to, to decide how much of your income you're going to save. I'm going to be very honest with you. 10% is not enough and never has been. So you pick between 20 to 40. Two, invest consistently. So even when the market is bad, you have to continue to invest. We talked about this earlier today, but avoid debt at all costs because debt is a cancer to your financial freedom. Number four is so key. Get rich slowly. I know we all want 40 and 50 and 80% gains, but they don't last always. So invest in businesses that are solid, no matter how tempting the other companies may be, whether it's in the stock market or MLM or other opportunities that you have. Um, learn something new every day because the things that you are absorbing will give you an extreme competitive advantage against other people that you're investing against and then insurance and protecting the downside of your business. Because I think it's easy enough for us to make money. The biggest threat that we face are the roadblocks that we'll run into that could potentially strip that away. So if you, you're not a professional, stick to indexing for our first-time users. Please keep it, keep it simple. And this is why. If you try and beat the market and fail, you're going to usually lose or do 2 to 6% worse every year after fees. So we talked about this before with negative compounding. And for those of you that are down 20 25%, like imagine if you do this three, four years in a row, how you are going to feel. So this is my blueprint for beginners. So if I had to start Xander all over and had to talk to him, this is exactly what I would tell him. Step one. Invest in index funds first. Step two, if you want to go outside of that, look at the top three companies in the world and pick the best out of those three and add that. Three, invest every month unless you just have a big bag of money that you're hiding underneath your bed where you can throw in all in one time, but it's going to be a lot more comfortable emotionally to invest every month. Four, this is key. Please write this down. If you're looking at a particular sector, pick the top two players in the space. So on the retail side, Amazon, Target, pretty damn easy picks. Top two credit card companies, Visa, MasterCard. Everybody type in chat the top two video game platforms. You can make your own little mini index if you look at the top two. And then number five is so important. You have to avoid all distractions. Because not everyone that's giving you advice and saying, hey, you should invest in this is looking out for your best interest. Mm. Some people are investing for purely excitement, not outcome. Not outcome. So this is your homework item of the week. I want you to hop on Google. There is an article on Medium. I want you to read all the Amazon shareholder letters from 1997 to 2020. It's only 72 pages. And write down the top three lessons that you've ascertained from the shareholder letters that Jeff has written over the years. And then you get to see the evolution of the business. This is a part of your fundamental research. 
Because when you start to read all of the letters that a CEO has written, you can see us thinking from the very beginning and very key. We talked about fundamentals, I think, through four, four or five weeks ago. But how has the founder or founding team stayed on track with the initial vision? And then when things went bad, how did he adjust? So you get to see in real time decades of research and time invested into a business and how he's adjusted. And I think you'll be very fascinated to see um, some of his thoughts. So my question for you as I wrap up, are you going to invest for safety or are you going to invest for freedom? For those of you, if this is your first ride down into election, you'll never forget these next four weeks and it will make you a better long-term investor. And for my traders, even if you do bad and you draw down 20%, I'm telling you the lessons that you gain from election night trading and up until election, you will never forget and it will prepare you for the next crashes and strong pullbacks that we have. But I need to know, are you going to be an investor for the long term, for safety or for growth? Because I don't think any of you are here purely for excitement because we're not here to gamble. So thank you. And I love you guys so, so, so much. Thank you. And I will not end the Zoom. I promise you. Thank you. Know, you. Talk about a masterclass. Appreciate that, brother. Ooh, appreciate that. Yeah, man. And, and somebody missed the first assignment. The first assignment was to go figure out um, all 11 sectors and see how they perform over the past 20 years. I know somebody was like, what was the assignment? That was the first assignment. All 11 sectors, how they perform over the past 20 years, find the top performers inside the sector. That's a fact. So uh, shout out to everybody on YouTube. If you could like this video, that would please like help the algorithm and it would, we would greatly appreciate it. So without further ado, we're going to bring on our guest, our pristine guest, uh, Bonowin Eisen. I hope we said his last name correctly. I think you got it. Um, can we bring him on? Yeah, he's, he's, he's on. He's on? Yeah. All right, Bonowin, you just got to unmute yourself. and uh, Camera's there. There he goes. What's going on, gentlemen? What's going on? Brother? Brother? How you doing? Doing great, man. Uh, before <laughs> I get into the meat, we start cooking up. I just want to say thank you, man. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. And what y'all brothers are doing for the community, like pushing the culture forward, educating people, like communicating at a level and making like investing fun and uh, achievable and actionable and relatable. It's powerful, man. Like I'm I am thrilled to be part. Consider me someone at your service. Um, I'm down for the cause. All money in, as they say. Oh, oh yeah. I, love it. I, love it. I appreciate that, man. I really do. Appreciate that, man. So it was a big day for you. It's on uh, Fast Money, I believe, at five o'clock, right? Yeah, I did the options action hit um, today. So just like the options part, I'll be back on full-time Wednesday and Friday. Uh, yeah, so, you can, know, can we talk about my baby real quick, what you said about Microsoft? <laughs> well, first, I'm, 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 oh, Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So for anybody that, as I said, um, Bonowin is a managing director of equity derivatives at XP Investments, which is options. I believe that's options trading, right? Yeah. Equity derivatives. Um, and he's also a contributor at CNBC. Um, you, you probably, if you watch CNBC, I'm sure you have seen him. So, yeah, you know, we, um, we took one of their brightest talents, <laughs> scratched him up real yeah, quick. Yeah, got to over to the It's on the platform. Kind of spitting some good. Yeah, so he's going he's gonna to drop a lot, a lot of gems. And we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about stock market. We're going to talk about options. We're going to talk about investing. We're going to talk about a variety of different things. So, um, yeah, once again, thank you. Thank you for joining us. I know this is going to be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. So 
Ian, I'll let you. Ian Winfrey, Yo, I'll let you. I'll let you kick it off. And uh, even Ian Smiley, Ian, ahead, my bro. Ian, <laughs> Ian has a long list of questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been watching you. How long have you been on CNBC? Ten years. Oh man, so wow. Uh, <laughs> I've been watching for a while, so I'm. I'm so happy. I did an online segment for them. Yeah, maybe about eight to ten years ago. Yeah, um, fresh out the diapers too. Um, you killed yeah, the segment like too. A bit more of an online segment. Um, they were trying to, I mean, as you know, and you can see from all the retail companies and every other industry, like you need to have some type of digital brand, right? And I and I yes. give CNBC, NBC Universal a lot of credit. We'll get into some of the other companies that I think have fallen behind there. But like the way that you communicate through media has got to evolve and change. And I think they were kind of, um, you know, they were leaders in that, right? Like clearly they were looking to pivot or try new things, given what they have already in their television brand. Um, and brand equity there. So I was doing an online segment uh, talking about options and different companies. Um, and then, you know, it just got tough work. Uh, I work. I used to work with one of the guys that's uh, one of the anchors there, Dan Nathan. Um, and so he kind of got me involved. And then I did like a couple of sports shows or something, but like, it was really, I was young in my career, um, didn't have the flexibility. And so, you know, I just kind of had to make a decision between that and this and uh, fortunately, I will say the people at CNBC have been very good to me, continue to like groom me and bring me along. Um, it can be a little nerve wracking, but I definitely feel like not only did they put me in the game, they put me in a position to win, um, which hopefully I can help our audience be here tonight. That's amazing. And so my quick follow up with rates rising. And of course, everyone wants to know about the election. If Biden wins, what are some good sectors to invest in? And then if Trump wins, what's your take? Yeah, I'm going to... Um, deconstruct that or decouple those questions. I think the rate question, while correlated um, with the Democratic Party, I think is slightly different. Um, so if Biden wins, I think he's been very, very transparent, which uh, unfortunately we're not really used to getting that from politicians the last four years or so. But I think he's been pretty transparent in, in his intentions as to move away from, uh, you know, fossil fuels into renewable. I think he's also been very... Um, very transparent in terms of saying that he wants to invest into infrastructure. It's been one thing, I'll get into this later, it's been one thing that ought to have this liquidity fueling this market. It's another thing to see real economic input, or, sorry, uh, economic output. And you're seeing that breakdown right now in some of the consumer spending numbers, and some of the industrial production numbers, right? Like you're seeing, for the term, a K-shaped recovery. You're seeing some people that are bouncing back, affluent people that have access to the market, yeah, but that really only affects a small modicum of, of people in the United States versus the real economy. So sorry, to, to answer your question succinctly, uh, Blue Sweep, I think you want to look at companies like um, alternative energy companies. Uh, TAN is a way to kind of play the ETF, or Solar is a name that I pitched uh, earlier. Um, I look at companies like Roku and Cat, and that those are like, and you, you, you just mentioned, right? Like if you're going to go to a sector, the industrial sector, pick the winners, pick the leaders in those categories. And I think those companies speak to infrastructure building that will be going on. The cats, the Roku's, the engineering companies of the world. In a Trump situation, I think, um, I think energy does less poorly. Uh, that's been a beaten down sector. It's your traditional fossil fuel energy. Um, so any, any type of sectors that are correlated to deregulation. So the banks, right? Right now, buybacks are restricted. Dividends are being uh, scrutinized. I think you'll see some easing, easing up there. I think you'll see some easing or more accommodative 
type of um, type of policy towards energy. Um, and I think that you might want to watch out for companies like Apple, because if we don't get this international relations and international policy right, mm-hmm. I think um, the, the blowback of that is seemingly underestimated in a lot of these companies. And then on the flip side, Nike, if you just want to get into like the tax breakdown, um, if you assume corporate taxes are going to go up, you want to look for companies that have more of an international um, type of revenue distribution. So a company like McDonald's or Nike are very global in scope in terms of where their revenue streams are coming from. So, Bonalyn, in the event that, that Biden wins, and we're talking about international, especially with you know our foreign exchange and foreign policies, specifically a country like China, if Biden wins, is it a good time to be looking at stocks and, and companies that are coming from China, specifically like maybe in the semiconductor field? Uh, yeah, I mean, that whole region, actually, um, I think, I think Vietnam is kind of an overlooked, uh, area as well. I mean, um, just to keep it simple, I think a lot of times, uh, like we overcomplicate things, right? Pick up something that you see has been manufactured. I would say 10 years ago, everything was made in China. Half the stuff I pick up, I see made in Vietnam. Um, I think VNM is the Vietnam ETF. You can kind of track the performance of that, um, I think it's kind of, it's rebounded nicely. Um, what I think is that in the case of a blue sweep or just Biden, um, I, I think I, I mentioned blue sweep because it's harder to push through policy. You saw it with the Obama administration. Like you can have the best of intentions, but when you have these bipartisan wars. It's just hard to actually move things across the finish line. So in the event of a Biden win or a blue sweep, I do think you'll see uh, a more diplomatic approach with China. Um, I want to I want to call things fairly both sides. I do think that the Trump administration has made some proper steps in terms of cracking down on um, on the way China does business, right? Like they have a very protectionist economy, while we're expected to be very expansionist and global. Um, I think also in terms of some of the scandals that you've seen, in terms of like gap accounting scan standards, they have not met those those standards. So my point is, I'm all about like a transparent market that allows you to really see what's going on. Um, I think there can be a level of protectionism that's decreased. And I think Biden would probably be better at at getting to that in a diplomatic way. You're not going to go in anyone's home and dictate the terms on which they're going to behave. Hopefully that answered the the question. Yeah, not for sure. Let me jump in. Um, Speaking about the energy sector, because we haven't, this is a sector that we really haven't uh, focused too much energy on. Uh, no, pun no pun intended. <laughs> uh, and I know, I know that this is, I know this is your, your specialty, uh, one of your specialties. So, you had mentioned the stock before. Buy first solar stock. First solar. Solar. Um, can you talk about that? Buy first solar. Um, so I mentioned Tan, which is an, uh, an ETF way to play it if you don't want the stock specific risk. I think a lot of the gems you got, you guys have been dropping on people are are great, right? So like. If you're not as comfortable with the space and you want to play an index or an ETF, um, it's a great great way to get exposure to an overall theme rather than taking the idiosyncratic risk of that particular company. So with that in mind, in terms of why I want exposure to the sector, I mean, you're kind of already seeing the trend away from fossil fuels. I mean, you know, the IEA came out and I believe 25%, 2018, I believe 25% of our electric output was from renewable. They're expecting that to increase by 50% by 2024. 
And that's mm-hmm. a, like ridiculous growth, yeah. right? <clears throat> and if you look at the performance of Tesla, Neo, or any of these other companies, like you're kind of seeing the hysteria around the space. Hell, you have GM coming out with uh, what was it, like an electric Hummer. Hummer, what yeah. Yeah, massive investment um, into that space. What I particularly, so that explains why I like this sector. First Solar in particular, I like the company just because I like the way that they go about funding businesses. Now, this company has been around, right? But if you look at their balance sheet, you look at a lot of other balance sheets um, of comps in that space, they use debt as a method to fuel operations, right? They have more positive free cash flow, but they have this debt balance, so much higher enterprise value vis-a-vis their market cap. But if you take a look at, at, um, at First Solar, they have like half a billion dollars in debt versus about one and a half to two billion dollars of cash, right? So they could literally pay down that debt with cash if they so ch- if they so choose. They do have they are burning cash, but the, as you've seen, with a lot of other companies going through through COVID, there there are things you can do, whether it be layoffs or pressing vendors to kind of achieve operating leverage there. So for me, they're more in control of their own destiny, being that one. It's not re- not really in this rate environment, but they can actually earn interest on on their cash balance as opposed to drawing more interest like uh, via debt and i just think they're well positioned so the, the the pain points and i mentioned this on cnc revenue growth and gross margins i would like to see those things higher but i think with that company specifically the, being that they are like their position to be like utility or or, or output energy on a grand scale the moves that the democrats are saying they want to do directly speak to the pain points. I think they're just perfectly kind of situated for uplift if you were to get that situation. So if we see an uptick in alternative energy, do you think this is like the beginning of the end for Exxon and traditional fossil fuel-based companies that have had an 80 to 100-year run? Um, The beginning of the end as we know them. And you've seen that across a bunch of industries. I mean, there was an article out talking about a merger or acquisition of Chevron and Exxon. I mean, if that doesn't kind of tell you where we're at, yeah. I don't know what does. I mean, you talked about the VIX and how that points to trends. I think a lot of times we want to see what's going to happen. But, like, again, like, trust your gut. You see these massive secular shifts. I mean, that, that's like if you would ask someone 10 years ago, okay, Ford and GM, you, you think what's going on with these with these manufacturing behemoths, do you think they're going to change? Uh, probably half the people would have said no, but but they have. They've adjusted, they've yeah. Changed, they've gone bankrupt, they've been bailed out, they've been restructured. I think you're going to have to see the same thing. I mean, whether it's the medical industry or the um, the, the traditional in, the energy industry, they have a, a large lobbyist um, group. So, like, you're always going to have to kind of fight through that. Yeah. But I, I just, I don't think you can fight science. There's no way you have companies. Uh, what is it? Um, Blue Wave and uh, uh, SpaceX. You, you have all this exploration now on the next frontier because we are quite literally destroying our our planet. So I, I don't I, I don't think there's a way around it. I think you saw a bit of a head fake in 2005 when you had like the um, solar uh, crisis. You saw a lot of subsidies in Germany, here, Australia. Um, but I would, I would liken that to the tech bubble in the 99, 2000, right? Sometimes you're a little bit too early for the secular trend. And I think sometimes 
the second time around gives you an opportunity to kind of learn from previous mistakes. Yeah, we, we saw Tesla, obviously, with, with the solar paneling and obviously in the EV market. I want to talk about the, the other place of expertise for you, the, the financial sector. And uh, I want to know your thoughts on, on how long you think it's going to take before they recover, because they've taken a hit, obviously, since Corona has uh, taken over the world, really. Yeah, um, I think you have seen some. So generally speaking about finance, the financial industry, yeah, I mean, I think what you're seeing is, <clears throat> shout out to Karen Feinerman. She's kind of like mentioned this a few times on the show. I think that you're seeing these companies trade lockstep with yield curve, flattening and steepening, um, for one. Secondly, I think in, in certain regimes, when particularly when you have interest rates as low as they are, right, it's, it's very difficult to earn free carry. I'll get into that a little bit later. That's in, in terms of, in addition to the stimulus that we're seeing, right, like money managers got, have to put money to work. There's no way around that. I'm not paying you 2 and 20 for you to sit on cash. Yeah. You better find a way generate some returns for me. Like it just, it's, it's quite, it's that simple. Let me ask you, let me ask you this. And I appreciate once again, this is, this is a very high level education, everybody. So I hope you guys really appreciate this. YouTube 5,300. We are, we're vastly approaching our record. Great news number. alert. So please hit the like button. You're going to, you're going to skyrocket on social media after this episode, <laughs> by the way. Um, but I was trying to hide in the corner, man. The hype is, is over. And the please don't DM my guy every day. <laughs> Let him prepare and actually invest. Don't <laughs> worry. So um, tech, we, we, we saw we saw a tech run up crazy since since April. Um, like all time highs on the Nasdaq. So I, I said about a month ago I thought that tech was um overinflated. And then right after that it started to go down. But it's still relatively high. Like if you look at the Dow Jones, we're not at the high, but NASDAQ, we're still like close to the high. Mm -hmm. So I understand that it's a stay-at-home economy and, um, you know, the, the virus has helped tech companies. But do you think that tech is overrated? And what's your overall thoughts on, on tech as far as um, stocks are concerned, like the, in the broader industry, the NASDAQ, things of that nature? Um, give your honest take. I think the entire. Sorry. No, no. I say go ahead. Give your honest take. Um, I think the entire market is overrated. Um, it's not. It's not a tech specific specific thing. So yes, I mean, I guess the you know the the short answer is yes. I think it is overrated. Um, in terms of you're paying such a high premium for what you're getting there. But I, you could have made this argument for the past five years in terms of PE ratios on the S&P. Like, you would have missed tremendous growth. Thanks, yeah. um, and that's why there's, like, the old adage of not being able to time the market. So, yeah, but, I mean, where else are you going to deploy capital, right? So you have sovereign interest rates that are at zero or below zero. Um, you have monetary policy that's extremely accommodative. You have a fiscal policy that's pumping trillions upon trillions of dollars into an economy. You have a Federal Reserve that's buying, literally buying the debt of these companies. And then you have a banking industry, kind of circling back to what you mentioned before, which are making the majority of their money right now on fee generation, whether that be, and a lot of that is capital market fee 
generation, right? So these companies know that they're going to be able to go back and either have one, have their debt backstop. So the yield that, that it's going to demand in the open market is going to be lower because you have infinite liquidity behind you. And then you're going to be able to go to the banks, which are getting squeezed on their net interest margin, which are going to trip all over themselves to issue your next issuance. So for me, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. With that said, I'd much rather pay these type of multiples for technology than I would for cyclical names, like without a doubt. Now, that's just me. Um, I don't want to push my views on anyone else, but it's to me, it's it's not just about like the work from home thing. It's the fact that these companies like are still growing, generate massive amounts of free cash flow. I'm talking about 30, 50 billion dollars of annual free cash flow. And they have more cat like their cash balances are the sizes of other companies' market caps. I mean, it is it's like it's a phenomenal thing to see. And for me, technology fuels every every aspect, whether it's new technological advancements in the healthcare industry, whether it's new technological advancements, I mentioned Roku, new technological advancements in terms of engineering um, and how you're actually um, like going through your data science and breaking down the efficiencies of how you're actually operating. I think it just permeates through all of those sectors. Um, and in a lot of cases, Amazon, for example, whether it's cloud computing, in the retail space, transportation, logistics, you just see it like they're becoming vertically integrated behemoths. And it's like, it's to me, it's just hard to, to bet against that. But sorry, I, I, I a little long-winded there. But yes, I do think they're overinflated, but I, I just don't really know what the what a viable alternative is. Uh, can you tell the story of how you got into the business and for anyone who's looking to follow in your footsteps? Uh, absolutely, guys. And if I'm going too long, please just like stop me short. I, no, keep going. I love this stuff. So like, I'll just. I don't, I don't think anyone's going anywhere. How did I get started in the business? So I did this program uh, my junior year of college called uh, SEO, Sponsors for Educational Opportunity, and it was an internship program. SEO. I think it's SEO-USA.org is the website, I believe. Um, and essentially what it did is it took, excuse me, sophomores and juniors from undergrad and uh, hooked them up with uh, internships on Wall Street. And in addition to the internship, we had our own education process. Like it was like pretty grueling summer, but it definitely got my foot in the door because I knew nothing about investing. The whole reason I even wanted to get into the industry was like, and I'm, I'm from Stockton, California, 209. I mean, I think it's Detroit and Stockton are the only places that were like bankrupt through the whole downturn, right? So um, I'm very appreciative for my upbringing, but like I just didn't get the knowledge at home and I didn't even really know where to begin to get it. I went to college. There was a guy that, um, a guy by the name of Deshaun Owens. Um, he was into finance and economics and I always noticed this dude had like nice stuff, but he you know, from, was from a humble upbringing, but always was able to kind of make ends meet. And I just asked him, Hey, big bro, can you kind of let me know what kind of things I should study or whatever? So he kind of took me under his wing. He was telling me, listen, you should go this economic route. Um, so I did that, met a couple of other buddies that were telling me about these internship programs, got to, um, got to wall street, did the internship program. I'm a California kid that came out to New York and got, got my butt kicked, man. Like just not. 
Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Understanding um, just the aggression that one needs in the city and then one needs in that industry. It's like straight cutthroat, doggy dog. Um, I'll just give it to you straight. Just the amount of like work and time that one must, uh, one has to invest at a young age. I just wasn't necessarily prepared for that, but I, I met some, some mentors, um, a guy named Nadim Sadiq gave me my first shot. Ruben Jacob kind of mentored me. Like guys, I just, I just got fortunate, man. Um, I, I didn't, I, I did not dream. I was not the kid that was like, in the investment club and doing all these things, I just kind of, I, I wanted, I wanted the knowledge. I felt like that was my way out. Um, and once, I, I mean, as you all know, once, once you like can taste it, once you let me get my hand on it, man, you're going to have to kill me to, to get my hand off. It. Take it away. Yep. Yeah, cool. yeah, shout, shout out to Stockton, California. Our, our boy, uh, Hip Hop Hunters. Yeah. That's yeah, a fact. Shout, just real quick. Shout out to MG. Shout out to our guy, Tay. And shout out to uh, Cordia, my cousin. Um, yeah, 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 on the super chat. Appreciate all of that. Um, but I, got, I got real quick, real quick, because I, I obviously um, options is your thing, and and our audience, and we're growing in, in that field as well. Two questions, two part, really. I want to know how long have you been trading options, and when you do, is it typically a short term? And if so, I guess it's three part. <laughs> if so. What 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 is the typical time frame? Are we talking for an option trade? Is it a month? Is it two months? Typically, what what are you looking for? Um, man, I started trading two thousand five, so fifteen mm. years. Oh, I say um, <laughs> and in terms of in terms of typical tenure of option, I mean, I I, I don't want to like skirt around any questions. That's just like there's no straight answer to that, right? It's like what am, what event am I trying to play for? Um, what, like, you know, what, what I do now is essentially I'm like more advisory and brokerage for institutional clients. Right. Um, but what I've done my whole career is take positions for the firm, provide liquidity, be a conduit of liquidity, make markets for, from the most simple call put vanilla stuff to like more bespoke type of options. So it, it really depends on the strategy. Sorry. I, I want to give you a straight answer, but I don't want to like simplify it in a way that's like not helpful. Um, what I will say is that I've heard and, and seen a lot of retail investors that are 
that liken cheap options to bargain options. And that is not the case. So um, just to like break down, again, let me know if I'm running a little. No, no, go, go right here. We keep going. But to, um, but to break down like the way you, like how you're going to make money in options, right? So you're going to have your intrinsic value, which is what it actually is worth. So you have your strike in terms of a call. How much is that call strike in the money? So stocks at 30, your strike is $20, $10 of intrinsic value. Now, at expiry, you're only going to pay that intrinsic value, right? Like for fair value. But over long-term of options, longer-term options, longer-tenured options, you're going to have that intrinsic value, and you're also going to have that um, time value that you're paying for. Now, I can get into, like, the Greeks, Delta, and whatnot, but your Delta is essentially going to be um, your probability of being in or out of the money and your rate of change. So. So if you have a delta of 50 or 30 or whatever it is, stock moves X, the options are going to move delta times X. Then you have your gamma, right, which is your essentially your slope, which is the rate of that change. So think speed versus acceleration. Your delta is going to be your speed, distance over time. Your um, gamma is going to be the rate at which that speed changes. And with short-term options, that gamma is very high. Short time to maturity, your rate of change is very high. So you can go from in, and out, in the money to out of the money to at the money very quickly. And you don't have a lot of time for that to reverberate and, and, and mean revert. Over longer, over longer periods of time, what you have is even though you will have these massive oscillations, just statistically speaking, you have much, much longer observations. And so you have much more time for there to be mean reverting. Now, stocks aren't mean reverting but the volatility of stocks are mean reverting. So any of you, like for you math bus out there, like your squares, your integrals, those are going to be mean reverting. The linear path won't necessarily be mean reverting. The company can go bankrupt, company can get taken out. There's no room for that to go back. But if you look over uh, the maturity of a company, what happens is in its nascent, it's, it's, you'll see it. You'll see it in their earnings reports, right? Their revenues, their gross margins, all those things as they're kind of finding their path become more and more volatile more and more volatile. They're opaque. You don't really know. But as you get more and more visibility, have more and more observations, that's where your statistics really start to kick in. So to answer your question, the short-term options, if you really want to play for an event and you have a high amount of conviction in terms of whether this thing is going to finish higher, lower, or somewhere in between, that's your sweet spot. If you want a lot of time for that to play out, you should, give, you should buy longer dated options. Now, Something that I like doing is I like spreading my position, right? Because when you are just buying a call or buying a put or selling a call or selling a put, your risk isn't necessarily defined. Sure, you buy a call, your risk is defined. But if you insist on doing that, you need to have a stop. The same way you have a stop um, when it comes to stocks, right? How much premium am I willing to lose? you got to walk away when you get there. Yeah. Live to fight another day, right? It's all about maximizing the probability of success because none of us, None of us are smart enough to make a right decision each and every time. Yeah. For the longer-term options, what you can do is you, you buy that to kind of give yourself a base. And then against that, you can write options in the shorter, shorter periods of time to kind of fund that long-term purchase. Because the, sorry, the last thing I'll say is the options don't – I want you to, like, differentiate between ownership and control. 
And a lot of like my mentors have told me, listen, once you get to a level, you want to own nothing and you want to control everything. Right. <laughs> but like likening that to options, right. Options give you control of a position. They don't necessarily give you ownership. So you own calls, you have control of this company, but it pays a dividend. You don't own that. Right. So what you want to do is, is, is pair off your right to control by writing other rights to control. And that allows you to kind of like, pick up and fund your trade over longer periods of time. The short stuff, there's just not enough time for it to snap back. So I think there's, there's a, there's a right, um, a balance. You should have both in your portfolio or you can, I shouldn't say you should, you can have both in your portfolio, but, um, just the, the way, like you really need to understand what it is that you're, that you're playing for because you know, the long-term stuff, you can be right, but it can move back against you. Yeah. So I just wanted to ask a question uh, real quick, Ian. So you're saying, um, just for clarity, um, like if you have a long-term option call on like an app or whatever, play short-term calls during that duration at the same time as you have the long-term call? Sorry. Um, I was like reading the comments. I saw someone say, own everything, control everything, own nothing. I'm like, that's not my like, that's not my advice on life. You're not, you're not endorsing that. You're not endorsing that. <laughs> you know, you know, I was like, wait, 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 wait. That's not you to get you. Bring that up. You know, I saw them put your whole bio up in the comments. I'm like, oh no, he he can't hide no yeah, more. Nah, he's not endorsing that. Now, what I was saying is that Sorry, so you buy a long-term option, but you're trading short-term options of that. So it's like Apple. You have an Apple 2023 call, and yeah. you have like the June of 2021 call, and. March of 20, is that what you're exactly, saying? Exactly, right? So that one, like our, a calendar spread is what we'll call it. Mm-hmm. So when you the, when you own the longer dated option, you own control over a longer period of time, right? It's like basic negotiation, right? The person who has the longest time to wait, probably in the better negotiating position. So you've done a good job. I know we talked about this briefly, like you have an affinity towards more longer dated options. That gives you control. But against that, you can be selling people option options that may or may not expire in the money and if they if they do you just exercise your control or what i would suggest rather than burning all that money sell out of that to close that position rinse repeat Hmm. i have a two-part follow-up so we talked about risk so as a futures trader hedging risk is the most important thing Uh, what's your favorite risk to reward ratio and then your trading size how do you overcome a loss and deal with that emotionally when you have a trade that does not work out. Okay, yeah, I got a story for you on that one. Um, ideal risk reward. Again, it's going to depend on the tenure, but I'll, um, as I said, I like spread trading, whether it be vertical or horizontal. Vertical is between strikes, horizontal is going to be through X3. Um, if I can put something on, where, so think about the, the spread between the distance of the spread, right? If I can put something on where I'm paying one, it gets something three to five back, I like that risk reward. Okay. Conversely, if I'm riding options and I'm riding an option and I can collect 40% of that spread to pay, give them, and in the event that I lose, I pay, I pay 60, I like that. I like those type of situations. Okay. That, did, I, did I answer that? No, no. Great answer. Great answer. And, and on the ones when we, uh, I know we don't want to talk about losses, but they happen to everyone. 
how do you emotionally recover when you have a big loss since you are trading size? Uh, tequila and Hennessy. Um, first. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it real. Let's keep it real. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Game. Eddie Nation, what up, Mike? What up, man? That's funny. Uh, um, well, well, as a quick follow well, what was one of the biggest losses that you may have experienced? Uh, let's see. So, man, this is when I first started. I was trading. Um, I'm going to leave the tickers out. This. It's in the past, but just just so I'm safe, I was yeah. trading the home builder portfolio through that crisis, leading up into that crisis. And there were instruments there. These are OTC instruments called variance swaps. So you talk about calls or puts; those have like linear payout ratios. And so we talked about gamma a little bit. And I and I um, I, I don't want to like I hate when people get down and like bog down in technical speak and try to sound intelligent. So if I'm doing that, feel free. I want this to be like a family type of discussion. But you have these variance swaps, and the whole point of them is essentially replicate a constant gamma profile. So if you buy an Apple 230 strike call and the, and the stock is at 230, maximum gamma, but as the stock runs away from 230, you don't have as much option exposure okay. there, right? This is like something that was created to kind of replicate a constant gamma portfolio. So you've got to hedge a bunch of different options against this one structure. So, man, I had this position and um, I had been like, buying some gamma and some of the single names versus these variant swaps that I was getting, um, that were getting purchased from me. And I marked the variant swap and I was still kind of learning some of the tools. I was young. I marked the variant swap, but man, and this thing was down a few million. I got up from my seat, excuse myself, just went to the bathroom, straight on the spot. Um, fortunately I had like hedged some other stuff. So I marked those positions and I had made a lot of it back, but that was kind of like the first gut punch where, I was like, man, I can't even count. I've never seen that much money in my life. I can't even count that high. I'm, I'm, pre I'm pretending. You doubt yourself. Yeah. You start yeah. to doubt yourself. You're like, yo, man, I'm about to get exposed. Um, but what that taught me was, um, and I've traded a lot of high volatility. Books. Like, if I have done my due diligence um, and my conviction, like me, like kicking over every stone, and being a jerk and demanding answers, that happens before I get myself into a deal. Yep. So once that deal is there and it goes against me, if my fundamental thesis hasn't changed, I'm not panicking. Or if, or if something hasn't changed that makes me acknowledge that, hey, you just got this wrong, no. Like, I, I can stick it out. Now, keep in mind, I'm going to have some stop losses in there. There's, there's a level at which... With no matter how long you, how much you think you're right, you have to get out of the position because you got to live the fight another day. Um, but the due diligence process that goes into putting on a position is critical, at least for me. That, along with the quantitative metrics that I use, that gives me something to lean on when, when ish hits the fan, as they say. Yeah. Um, and then not following the crowd when I'm. And we're all guilty of it. Like when you momentum trade and you think you can just ride the wave, human psychology flips on a switch. So fast, yeah. Um, and so, I mean, to answer your question, man, like it's really the due diligence and the research and the questions um, and, and like the rigorous lead up to that, which gives me the ability to kind of ride that out. I mean, I just, I know I'm not going to be right all the time. It's about being right 51% of the time and when I'm wrong, mitigating those losses um, so that those losses are much lower 
then my then my win. But and now, what, what what percentage are you putting your stops at? Uh, again, it depends on the, the on the on the situation. But I mean, okay, in a normal okay, I'm glad you asked the great question. So I'm going to go back to your metric, the VIX. The VIX will give you a barometer that you should be using to determine how much volatility is going to be in that market. I think people kind of like there's a misnomer of it being a fear gauge. It's not really a fear gauge, the volatility gauge, right? If you take the square root of, so you have 252 trading days in, in a year, right? Take the square root of that because, again, we're talking about option uh, volatility here. So volatility is a square root of variance. So you have to deal in squares. Vol squares are additive, but your square roots aren't additive. So if you have like, a, a squared plus B squared, you can't, that's not AB squared, right? Um, square, um, square root AB, I mean. So you take your, your square root of 252, that will give you 15.84, call it 16. Divide that VIX number by that, that's the percentage move that the market is pricing in to mm. the general market. Okay. That's, that's, there you go. Crack the VIX code for you. <laughs> for those of you not listening, please write that down. Don't, don't let that go over your head. Please write that down. Yeah, no, One more time, please. Run that back. <laughs> All right. So your VIX is telling you what the implied move of the S&P over, I believe, a three-month period is. It's a blended move, right? But this is for any option. If you look at the implied volatility, you take the square root of 252, which is a number of trading days in a year, because everything is normalized for the square root of time. And the reason why I'm telling you that is because, again, variance is a square, volatility is a square root. So you've got to normalize things so you can compare apples to apples. If you take square root of 252, if you put that in your calculator right now, you're going to get like 15.8485, something like that. Call it 16. If you take the implied implied volatility or implied move, so the VIX, which is a volatility index, call it it's about 35 right now. If you take that and divide that by roughly 16, that output will give you the the move, the implied move of the S and P in percentage terms. So when you see a day like today, the markets move just under two percent, and you see the mm -hmm. VIX at 34, mm -hmm. like okay, and is this. They just that's told in the normal range. That, that's a great equation. The, the, so, pro the problem, the problem is when you said um, divide, take the square root, and you lost ninety-eight percent of the people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna put that in my iPhone. Including myself. But, but this, this is a part of teaching to fish, though. I guess, I guess, I guess, yeah. That class wasn't as overrated as I thought it was. Let's <laughs> we'll talk about education tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I'll tell you, it's sixteen. It's roughly sixteen. I apologize. That, I, that's a lot. Yeah, I, I gave people bad information about not having to go to math class. <laughs> that's the trigonometry you skip. Geometry, trigonometry, algebra, advanced algebra, <laughs> calculus. There you go. <laughs> you name it. Shout out, to shout out to everybody on YouTube. We have a breaking um, news alert. It's a we had a tie. We had a tie right now for our all time high. Fifty four hundred people. You're right up there with Budgetista. You know her, Budgetista. You ever heard of her before? Sorry, you talking to me? Yeah. What, what name again? Budget needs to. You're a good company. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, Thank you guys so much. Are you a new? I am. Yeah. What, what, what college did you go to? Stanford University. Land the new. 
Living Nightmare chapter, Spring 04, Juice Club. Okay. Shout out to all of the, the fraternities out there. <laughs> you can you tell everybody how you I went, I went to school. Man. Went new. He was like, we ain't ask you to step, brother. Mm. Just go ahead, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh man, now this is this is this is very enjoyable. Um, we're gonna try to get some questions yeah, in. Uh, I, you want me to just run off the earnings real quick? Yeah, yeah, we're gonna do yeah, it real quick. quick. So about this is this is what we usually do at the nine o'clock hour, but since it was there was a master class going on, we said we're just gonna let it run. So I'm just gonna give the earnings. Um, of some big earnings that are coming this week. Obviously, we spoke about before uh, that the FANG stocks will be reporting. So let's uh, obviously Chegg and Twilio reported uh, today. Um, and if you've been following Chegg, it's some of the, this is stock that we spoke about early on, like early. Ian, you know, what was that, like May we spoke about Chegg? Yeah, May, I think. Okay. April or May, yeah. Uh, Chegg and Twilio reported today. Tomorrow morning, CAP will be reporting. Uh, and tomorrow afternoon, another two stocks that we've been talking about having AMD uh, will be reporting as well as Microsoft. And then Wednesday, Charlie's favorite stuff, <laughs> Boeing will be reporting as well as Sony. Uh, and then Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon, man, it's a big one. We got Etsy, Fast and Gilead. Jamal, you hear this? Teladoc will be reporting. <laughs> Visa and ServiceNow, all stocks that we've spoken about before. And then Thursday is the big one. Thursday is the big one. AM before the, uh, opening, we got uh, Shopify and Mandera. And in the evening, right after closing, we got Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google. I mean, it don't get bigger than that. And then Friday, we got Honeywell, which was added to the Dow Jones in uh, August, and uh, Charter Communications as well. So those are our earnings for this week. It's a big week. It's a big week. I got a quick follow-up before we go, so I'll get my Tavis Smalley real quick. Um, <laughs> as a pro, what, what indicators are you using to assess where you want to get into the market, or what quantitative tools, if you're not able to share, what indicators you like? Oh, no, that's fine. Um... Definitely price to earning. Um, definitely uh, 200-day moving average, 50-day moving average, previous lows and highs, volume. I mean, all of your technical indicators. Um, I think uh, when you see, like, a, a stock gap and then fill in that gap, mm -hmm. I see a stock start to base for a while. I see that as an upside indicator. Um, previous support and resistance levels are like very key technical indicators, particularly when they're coupled with legitimate volume. Um, and then, as I mentioned, I look at um, percentage moves versus the implied volatility of a stock. And that will give me an idea of whether or not it's within a normal kind of like distribution, right? When I start to see two or three signal moves, start i mean you gotta you gotta kind of change your calculus right you shouldn't be riding those type of, shouldn't be riding those type of way um, Bobby, can, you, can you just turn your value up just a little bit i feel I'm like sorry. you got a little bit lower on us is that all right yeah 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 should be should be all right yeah you know, let not, me know if it's uh <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I think it's back to where it was before. Yeah. I, I apologize to all the math geniuses out there. It was a joke. It was a joke, people. It was a joke. I'm not I'm not looking down on anybody's mathematical brilliance, man. Take don't take it too serious, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and, and, and over, over what time? For, go ahead. Yeah, because I'm gonna ask you too. Because I mean, you told us, and both of you could kind of answer. You said 47 was the number when we're looking at the VIX. But what would tell us that we're okay, right? It, it, does the VIX need to be in the teens or, or the early 20s? What, what number would indicate that, you know what, we're, we're okay? Um, like to try to give you a straight answer, I mean, man, recent regimes, you see the VIX sub-14, sub-12. 
Mm, yeah, right, right. Like less than a percent. That's like normal. I mean, yeah. we're still rich. Um, it's just that like I think this is the new normal. Like I, I think, and if I can kind of go off on a tangent, I think um, people have to have to understand that this is not a normal trading or investing environment. And what I'm seeing, and a lot of questions that I get is that people are like chasing the next hot thing. If sell-offs like like that happen in March should not happen routinely. That's gone. <laughs> you got to move on to like the next, <laughs> the different area. Right? Like, so it's like, okay, what's the next Zoom? Okay, what's the next this? It's like, oh, people it's are chasing, lifetime. Yeah, man, people are chasing these moves as if they're they're a new normal. And and I I really want to caution against that. This is not a get rich quick type of game. This is a stay in your seat, keep your shirt, maximize your odds of winning game, like anything else, right? You're not going to just hop in here. There are all types of market. I mean, I'm, I'm just a guy, right? you got all types of like super quantitative bots that you're trading against that are like mm-hmm. scraping Twitter for news and like, you know, moving things around in micro milliseconds. Like you're not, you're not going to compete in terms of that trying to get rich quick. You have to find your lane, your area of expertise, and exploit that. But trying to just ride the next hot thing, I I mean, best of luck. Maybe you can get up here and tell me about it. But um. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. Shout, shout out to Wall Street Traveler. He's, we, had, we, had, we were speaking yesterday, and he was like, um, he was like, yo, that was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He said something to the effect, like, that was historic. Like, what happened from March to September – that wasn't that wasn't normal. So that was legendary. Yeah. So um, I mean, I, I literally waited from 2009 for that move. <laughs> and, and to be very honest, no one fully took advantage because when we dipped at heart, still fearful. We didn't know if the Fed was going to stop printing. I don't have inside information. Um, so the r- reason why I give so much reverence to you, because not many times do we get a chance to talk to someone who's on the pro side. So these rules are so key. Um, and once again, to like, thank you for sharing some of your insight. I, if I could ask you, what's some of the best, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received about investing from anyone you've met or maybe a mentor? Uh, first of all, thank you. But, um, uh, man, I respect what you do. I've got a chance to look into your stuff. Like I said, man, I'm honored to be here with you guys. So I'm just one of the fellows. Um, hundred percent. I mean that genuinely in terms of best advice, man, there's a lot and I don't want to cut anybody out. Um, Few quick anecdotes. Uh, bulls get rich, bears get rich, pigs uh, pigs get slaughtered. Um, don't catch falling knives. Don't step in front of freight trains. Man, I feel like I've been told that so many times. Yeah, that's a great um, lesson, though. <laughs> um, I think everyone's heard, cut your losses, ride your winners, but I think it's harder to do psychologically, which is why you put in stop losses. Like, take away all of the emotional response. Like we are emotional creatures. We're wired that way for our survival. Trading should not be emotional. You need to make that as clinical as possible. You get to a level, that's where it is, that's it. That is it. Um, another thing that I like is like if I have a stock, right? And we've seen a lot of stocks double, triple. See, you're in a stock and it's doubled or tripled. 
take that same inverse ratio, sell that amount, and you're in for free. So I've heard, so I've heard, like, and I think you guys are right, but I've heard people say, okay, you owned Apple, never should have sold it. Now I'm with you. Don't sell good companies, but risk management is also key. So if you're up double, if you sell half or a quarter, if you sell half, you're in the trade for free. That's and true. If you have owned half of your Apple position from 2005 till now, oh my God. you're still printing, you're still minted, yeah. and you sleep well at night. Um, what else? Um, I will say there's a the, the the advice that I've gotten from investing versus trading is different. Trading mm-hmm. is much more about being calculated, understanding trends, putting in stops, being super diligent. It's just it's just an unemotional, boring game of just making sure that you do the same mundane task over and over again and just being very rigorous. On the investing side, and you guys have really hit the nail on the head again, kudos to you all. Um, I think it's more about like understanding that you should be in OP indexes or indices. Because at the end of the day, like the basic core tenets of finance are time value of money or time accretion and compound interest. Like that's that's your basics in terms Holy of ground. finance, right? Yeah. So give yourself time. You're not going to do this overnight. Keep fees to a minimum. Establish a core position. And then like when you want to do some short-term option trades or you want to hop into a, the next hot stock or whatever – you can like allocate small portions of capital to do that. I think you should. I mean, man, I'm going to get crucified for saying this, but I think you should have some stock trick off money, right? Like better than going to the club and blowing bottles or doing something else stupid or buying a Chanel bag. Like that's true. Go, if you, go no, take a chance. More, more, more bottles. Yeah. More bottles. <laughs> bottles. Um, we just broke a record. We just broke a record. Record news alert. 5,500. That's a big fact. Yeah. Yo, not amazing, man. Part of history. Bottom line, you have etched in EYL history. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I if you want, <laughs> if you want to, if you want to see Bottom back sometime in the future, drop a one, drop a one in the comment section. Let me. Legendary. Oh, oh let's, boy. Let's see. Oh man. Oh. Going yeah, to you're gonna break the internet. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, <laughs> gonna, you're gonna come back. EYL. You gotta put in your bio. EYL. <laughs> Market Mondays contributor. <laughs> CNBC, I like that. CNBC I like that. slash Market Mondays contributor. contributor. I like that. <laughs> contributor. Yo, any any uh, book recommendations? I know Ian loves Money Master the Game, and that's obviously what uh, our book is right now. You you have any, or you you gonna go with that one? No, Money Master the Game is come on, <laughs> yo. And I'm telling you, done, I read that man. as someone who's like experienced in. Yo, that book is fire. Breaks it down in like such detail. If you want to get more into like options trading and some of like the more technical aspects of it. Um, there's a book called options, volatility and pricing by Nattenberg. This was the first book I was given to read options, pricing, and volatility, last name Nattenberg. And that will go through like that will break it down for you. And for you math buffs out there, there's a book, um, by Hull, H U L L. Oh yeah. Um, that will get into more of like the nuances around the math. I don't know if you necessarily need it, but like, you know what? I don't want to put limits on you guys. Like, go out there and be beast. Like, there's nothing that you can't like understand or do. You might as well. I mean, um, do it big. 
all has some amazing indicators too. Um, a sector that I've hated for a while is banking, but are there any banks, if you can't touch on it, you don't have to, that have good trading operations that you think could last through COVID and election? Yeah, um, I do actually. So like, I like the money center banks that have trading operations. I mean, again, yeah, man, you're sharp dude man all over it man yeah this dude is blessing y'all <laughs> <laughs> that's ghost that's ghost right there yeah. um, my, my brother just texted me he said yo y'all got montana and brady on at the same time this is great <laughs> <laughs> um so banks right i like the money center banks that actually still have trading operations uh because if you looked at the if you looked at the previous earnings right you've had all these write downs for a possible consumer debt, right? So if you think about banks, like they're in the core business, borrowing short lending long. That's just what they do. You go talk about the overnight rate or the repo rate, they borrow money. They have like a one to nine or one to 10 ratio where they have to have um, hold against your deposits. And they literally go out and lend money. It is like yeah. the oldest trick in the book, right? And then on top of that, you know, they have credit cards and fees and everything else, right? But what you've seen is when the consumer is damaged, and again, I'm going to go off tan tangentially, like this economy, this American economy, make no mistakes about it, is fueled by consumer spending. Mm -hmm. point, bank, point blank period. And I'll take that a step further and say it's fueled by debt-induced consumer spending, like the worst kind. Yeah. That's how these companies are getting rich off of people, to y'all credit, buying liabilities instead of assets. So like, that's just stop here. Um, so once you understand the way these banks are making money off, you all say like you're seeing now a trend towards um, more of the retail banking. Right? You just had Morgan Stanley. I think they just bought Eaton Vance. I forget what company that they that they just bought. Um, but essentially giving them um, exposure to more retail, more fee generation. Essentially, uh, I listened to your to your show last week. You likened it to a toll booth. I don't care if you go, leave, stay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm clipping, my, clipping my coupon. But sorry, to, to answer your question succinctly, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, um, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, and Morgan Stanley are the kind of companies that are on my radar. I think mm -hmm. uh, J.P. Morgan is top in class. Um, Goldman Sachs, specifically to your question, is renowned for their trading acumen. Yeah. Morgan Stanley is just a well of a uh, equity house. And I think they have kind of, um, kind of, uh, diversified into, uh, lower volatility, more visible revenue streams. And then I, I wrote these down, I think, um, but I, I can tell you off the top of my head. I think what you're seeing now is a lot of these banks are trading at like one times price to book, right? Mm -hmm. Which means like the assets that they have on their balance sheet, the level at which they carry them, the stock is trading one for one with that. I think yeah. JP Morgan trades like 1.2 times. I think Goldman Sachs might trade like 0.9 or one time. I think Morgan Stanley is trading down to like 85% of book. Now, keep in mind that they have already went and written down billions of dollars. So you're getting companies that are trading at low ratios to book after said book has been written down. So I feel you in terms of not necessarily liking them. They're like yeah. utility stocks. The dividends might come under scrutiny, but like I, I, I think you buy good companies at cheap levels, and I, I think some of those fit the bill. What's the injury industry consensus of why BlackRock has outperformed Goldman at such a wide scale? 
in terms of stock price, even though BlackRock is Black BlackRock. Offerings. I mean, think about how many ETFs they offer. Creation, redemption, business, like they're just, it's, it's fee generation. Mm, okay. I mean, sorry, like I, I can give you a longer one answer, but I'm trying to like kind of cut down on my verboseness. Yeah, um, and I want Rashad and Troy to j- jump in because we'll be here for five hours. <laughs> I was, I was going to say there's some, there's, uh, there's some people here who are here with us, like 700 of them. I was going to maybe take one. Let's of rock. They said he ain't got no guidelines tonight, so. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's, yeah, let's... I, I'm trying to extract all the gems I can. <laughs> hey, yo, I really wanted you to ask the yeah. Moroccan one, man. Can you, can you do that one? I really like that one. That was a good one. We'll save it. We'll save. It. Yeah, we'll, we'll save it. I will save. It. We'll yeah. save it. Yeah, let's try. Let's try to get two. Let's try to get two questions in. Sorry, go to a new name. We, this is obviously you know a very special episode, and uh, we had a lot of questions, um, and it was a lot of information to cover. So we just try to get two questions in. So make these questions. It's a, you're under a lot of pressure, actually. Oh man, it's so, a newcomer. Are you gonna do that? Yes, I am gonna do that. <laughs> Congratulations. Is it, is it, is it Markley? It's like y'all. <laughs> Markley, you've been unmuted. Unmute yourself. I hope I said yeah. it right. Yeah, it's Martelli. Martelli, what's going on? How are you? No pressure, bro. What's listen, going on? Listen, appreciate y'all, fellas. Appreciate all y'all do. Um, gentlemen, a question I have for you is, Ian, I want to question on the election and the certain pricing, the no- certain numbers that the... I think the Dow has to get to so we'll know who will win the presidency. That's the P, yeah. Yeah, the way you're looking at it right now, brother, do you see, are we, are we going to reach those numbers or what? I will say this, though. I think um, with North Carolina being up for grabs and 2016 is different than 2020, and I'll let the brother chime in. The landslide or the secret victory that Trump had in 2016 is different than 2020. Um, with cases spiking and the economy not doing as well, it puts the election up for grab. So I think if we continue to slide for the next two weeks, definitely if we crack anywhere underneath 3,000 and cases go up, it may be a home run for Biden. But I'll let the brother speak um, and, and, and let, let him tell his perspective on if we'll drop in these next two weeks before election? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to skirt, dodge the, As the, you speak. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to punt that one. Um, well played. Yeah. I mean, we, in, we only got, go ahead. No, in, in terms of my view of the market over the next couple of weeks, I, <laughs> sorry, these comments are hilarious. Keep your job there. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yes, I got to skirt the political talk. I'm not going to like condemn anybody. But I will say is I think the risks right now aren't necessarily a Trump or a Biden win. It's like a contested win or a disputed win. Or as we've been on record saying, not essentially, I'm not going to leave peace. Like that is unprecedented. Like, and I think what, what people... That's that fear is still very much in the market. And I think I'll say the second thing is kind of like fiscal stimulus, the size and scope and where it's going to be targeted. Is it going to be two and a half trillion? Is it going to be 800 billion? Is it going to be one trillion? Are we going to bail out, quote unquote, blue states, blue states or states and, and local governments, municipalities, municipalities that are kind of under pressure? 
Um, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't see much upside for the next two weeks. Like why? What? Like just from a risk reward standpoint, why would you put money to work right now? Because we're back near all time highs. Mm-hmm. Maybe you make another 3%, maybe, maybe you make 5%, but you might drop. I, I don't want to put fear into people, but my point is the risk reward is now asymmetric. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell you whether it's up or down, but if I'm, if I'm purely, again, taking out the emotion and I'm looking at expected value, right? And I say, okay, it might be up, it might be down. If up, then up by how much? If down, then down by how much? Now, attach a probability to both of those situations. I'll tell you, for me, the expected value is less than zero, which means you don't. Clinical. That's just like no emotion. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a good question. I appreciate that. I, I was actually planning on asking Ian that question as well, like, based off of that, where is it going? And it was looking like it was going up, which would have favored Trump, and then it started to come down, and then it's been, like, on a spiral. So based off of the numbers that we did previously, Ian did it. I don't know. Yeah, like I mean, from a technical standpoint, for us to bleed back down to the 78.6 based off the five-year, Earnings will have to be terrible all week, and then cases will basically have to double every three days for us to, to dive down that far. Well, Anything is possible, but the probability of it is, is lower. All right, we're going. Uh, Avina, I hope I said that correctly. Avina, unmute yourself. You've been unmuted. Go ahead. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, from a technical standpoint, for us to bleed back down to the 70. You got you. You got you. You got your. Uh, you got YouTube on too? Yeah. Mute out, please. Basically, have to double. He wasn't ready. Fresh breaks. He got the, he watching us Anything on the stage. Probability of it is, is lower. Nah, 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 bro. Nah, nope. Nope. <laughs> We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Uh, uh, sorry. Sorry, bro. Sorry. I'm just sorry I took up all the time. I was trying to get the most out nah, of it. We're going to go with Stanley. Stanley, we coming to you. Unmute yourself. You've been unmuted. Like, oh, no, the nope. Nope. Come on, y'all. Squeeze this question. Three, two, one. Now you going. You want to ask the, the telecommunications? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll squeeze it in. So on a macro scale, what's the insight that, well, how long will it take with the economy to recover? Not the market, but the actual economy. And then, like, I've hated AT&T for a long time because of, I think the business model is inferior. Does the industry think that like legacy companies like AT&T, GE, IBM, we're seeing the beginning of the end? Or once again, do you think they'll start to rebrand and become powerhouses again? I'm going to take the second question first, because I think it's just like a more straightforward answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm on record, given my, my views on AT&T. Um, it hasn't participated in what has been an era of tremendous growth and upside you've seen. And again, man, I realize running companies are difficult, so I'm not here to to smash anybody, but you've seen mergers and acquisitions that have failed. I think when you see yourself paying X selling companies for half X or pennies on the dollar. um, And then if you look at like the ballooning debt balance at AT AT&T, now I get it. I understand why they're selling this. They need to shore finances. They need to get some cash on the balance sheet. But I think they're just behind the eight ball, right? Like now, to their credit, I will say, I think like 90% of their revenue comes from services as opposed to like actual hard. Like this. 
come to a while. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so like, at least that's like service business, but the issue is that there's still a capital intensive business. You've got these satellites, you've got these in-home infrastructures, they do fiber optics, all those things are like capital intensive like businesses, you need actual hardware. So now you're looking at, okay, now I have to like have some type of return on equity or return on capital, just a much more difficult business to kind of push through as opposed to a data center or a Netflix where really they're like, okay, what we need to do is we just need to go and get content. I mean, content, fine. What, you need a hard drive to store content and you need some distribution channels. And so I just think they've kind of they they've kind of chased, and as opposed to growing some of these things organically, they've chased these acquisitions and have paid premiums for them repeatedly, and they haven't worked, which purely I think cripples your ability to kind of move forward. On the IBM side, I think uh, you have seen them kind of pivot a little bit from personal computers to more of like a consulting type of service. I think there's some I think there is something there, but like clearly that wave has faded. Big man. Yeah. And then um, uh, you asked me about GE. Stock price tells you, you all you need to know there. It's, it's like, are they a financing company? I mean, so, so they've gone from a hardware company. I don't know. Financing, the, uh, being more of a financing company. And now they're kind of trying to pivot. I think these companies can survive or they'll just get bought. Um, I think IBM has done a decent job. AT&T, I, I give them credit for like attacking a weakness. But I just, I feel like they're, they laid dollar short. Um, as far as, sorry, what was the first question you asked me in terms of how long it will take for the economy to bounce back? Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you decoupled the economy from the market. Um, I think uh, a lot of people get that, get those two confused, and I think that our, our current administration is heralding our economy and likening that, sorry, heralding the market and likening that to our economy. Yeah. So if you break down, if you like look at the economic indicators, right, like, so you have Still record unemployment. Uh, still record unemployment. You have industrial production, which still shows that there's slack in the economy. I realize that we got a jump in terms of consumer spending numbers, but again, a lot of that was spent on goods as opposed to services. So, like those are not going to be recurring revenue stream. You have a consumer that's had the highest savings rate that it's had in modern history, um, and you have the end of benefits. And you have what, in my opinion, fiscal policy that is geared much more towards large, mega-cap, bulge-bracket firms. Buying their debt, issuing liquidity, access to capital markets, all of, those, all of those things only really apply to publicly traded companies. 40% of the U.S. economy, 40% of the workforce are small and medium-sized businesses. As you've seen how the CARES Act, the PPP, trying to get those loans, having the, the um, administrative wherewithal and paperwork to actually go and be able to get approved. I think that aspect of the, of the economy is still very much damaged. And I don't, see, I don't see that coming back anytime soon. What I will say, and what I think is great about this, com- this country, is the innovation. I think what you're going to see is some of these companies are gone. They're done. Right? When you, we, we talk about vertically integrated businesses and some of the big tech names but small mom and pop shops sometimes they only have one trick there's not like they can squeeze vendors it's not like they can increase costs to customers you're going to go to somewhere else and they also have to compete with the likes of other um well capitalized uh competitors it's like 
they they don't have the ability to pivot or move to a, a different revenue stream. So I think those businesses are going to kind of be impacted um, and to an extent won't come back. You've still seen it in the travel and leisure sector. You've seen it in hospitality, restaurants, like, and we're going into winter. I, I don't know, you know how, how we're going to get through that. You can only socially distance and, and, and be sitting outside for so long. I mean, I'm on the East Coast. Come December, man, that's going to feel like up north um, in Game of Thrones. You're not going out there. That's yeah, there's no sitting outside to eat there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, I think, um, like, like I said, you've heard uh, the term K-shaped recovery. I think you've seen it for people that have disposable income to invest in the market, people that can afford to buy a home, people that have credit or haven't had their credit impacted because of not having a job, so that they can go get a loan. So you have rates at all-time lows, but if you look at the banking standards, the hurdles to actually get those rates, those are at cyclical highs. Yeah. So if you're just not seeing the liquidity actually be dispersed to the part of the economy that, in my opinion, needs it the most. I think what you're going to see is um, a rebirth of sorts, but I, I think this this rebound is going to be protracted. No, Yo, appreciate that, man. I got my man Marcus. Thank you for being so patient, man. Shout, shout out to YouTube. I'm reading all those comments too, man. YouTube, YouTube. <laughs> you guys are funny. YouTube, YouTube. YouTube is hilarious. The earners is on fire too, man. Shout out to them. Shout out to you, Marcus. What's going yeah. on? Oh, you've been unmuted. Chilling, chilling. How y'all doing today? You doing good. Man? How you doing, brother? Good, good. That book club was fire. There, it was good. Oh, it was yeah, good. Yeah. Ian, Everybody Red Panda, good. loving it, loving it. Brother, you, brother. Uh, is it Bonawin? Look, uh, English is my second language. Did I say it right? Bonawin? Bonawin. Yo, a lot of gems, man. Really appreciate it. I actually got a question for you because on the beginning, you started talking about China and the relationship that Biden would have if, if he gets elected once he's in, that it will probably, you know, be a lot better than it currently is with Trump. Meaning that there's also a lot of companies right now that have been on a stock market like Luckin or whatnot. Is it smart to even think about investing in any sort of Chinese-ran company, because in the end of the day, if you really think about it, it's not really owned by the CEOs, it's owned by the government. So is it smart to invest in any companies at all, like the NEOs and the and whatever ETFs that's predominantly ran or, or owned by Chinese? Is it smart or is it should we just stay away from them? Um, great question, Marcus. I appreciate it, my man. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, state-run enterprises are nothing new and they're not only specific to China. You see the same thing. It's a lot of emerging market countries. Petrobras is state-run. Vale, there's a state, there's a state-run aspect to that. Um, Electrobras. So they, it, it, it happens. It's not just China. Yeah, man. Companies like Baba, Alibaba. I wouldn't care who owned it. That thing rents money. Um, now, <clears throat> you look at the size of the Chinese population. And, you know, I'm not here to debate international diplomacy. That's way over my head. Studied IR in school, but I forgot everything I studied. I just held on to the path. But um, listen, companies, money is green everywhere you go. Companies are in the business of making money. State-run companies, just like private enterprises, are in the business of, of, of making money. And that Chinese economy has bounced back and has been exemplary. And I, I'm, not, I'm not rooting for or against anything, but purely by the math, China has bounced back from this economic downturn 
in ways that is exemplary and we should probably be taking some tips on how they did it. Now, I'm not saying to force people in their homes or whatever. I'm talking purely economic data, output, production, GDP. They have bounced back. You've seen the economy growing. They do everything from manufacturing. They're, protect, they're, they're protective of their companies. Um, yeah, there's censorship and all those other things. But keep in mind, people are going to the, 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 never doubt the propensity of the global consumer to spend. People want to spend their money on something, whether you're Chinese, Brazilian, American, Mexican, or everything in the middle. Um, I think that that shunning an entire population because of some diplomatic issue, I think that's old school, um, not targeted at you, but like, I think it's ignorant. We've seen it in the past, you know, World War II, people didn't want to buy cars from Japan or whatever. The, the world is way too global for that type of protectionist type of mentality. So yes, good companies, no matter where they are, I think you can buy them. Yeah, we, they got something very interesting. I'm not sure if anybody's paying attention, but they have one of the largest IPOs in history, the largest, mm -hmm. the, uh, the Ant Group. The IPO is going to, I think, 30, $34 billion IPO? Ridiculous. So it, that, you know what, that should be- Oh, all the Ant IPO. Yeah, man, crazy. Yeah. But, Saudi Aramco, also another massive IPO. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just different level. Bottom appreciate you, brother. It was a pleasure. Superstar, I appreciate you, man. Yeah, glad. I appreciate y'all, man. Um, like I said, it's a pleasure. We spoke several times, and I'm glad we was able to make this happen. Like I say, anytime you want to come back, you always got a home here. Um, and look forward to just, you know, fostering a, a relationship with you. So how can the people follow you on social media? What would you like to tell the people? How can they watch you on CNBC? Like, what, what, are, what are all the information you would like to give out? Uh, I appreciate it. Um, first and foremost, if you have me back, I'd be thrilled to come back. Come on, man. As I told you, I, I can't tell you enough how much I respect what y'all do. It's, man, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. Um, and so to even be tangentially associated with it, bruh, like, I'm proud of you guys. Like, real, yeah. like, real talk. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate um, you. We, can put, we can put contributor in the bio for you. <laughs> <laughs> Easily. Easily. Um, <laughs> But yeah, man, I'll, I'll let you know once my November schedule comes out and we can we can look. I know things kind of get slow around the holidays, but I, I'm happy to pop on um, and do that. Uh, in terms of CNBC, um, I do the show Fast Money. That's on Monday through Thursday, 5 to 6. On Friday, 5 to 5.30. I'm not on every day. I'm usually on about two to three times a week. This week, I'll be on Friday, uh, Wednesday and Friday for the entire show. I did just the options action segment today. Um, in terms of social media, and I'll admit, like, I'm not the biggest social media person. Um, I'd have some people manage that stuff for me. At Bonwin, just my first name, at Bonwin, B-O-N-A-W-Y-N, uh, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, it's, it's all there. I have one of those names where <laughs> nobody else wants it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, Earn your leisure. Big week for us. Shout out to Killer Mike. We got Killer Mike tomorrow. Just to remind you guys, he said when we met Killer Mike, he said he found us on Instagram and he thought we was a a, a '90s R&B group. <laughs> he was like, "Who's these light skinned cats talking about finance?" So this four, what do you call it, quintet? Like when it's four four people, this is like the Supremes or something. Like this is crazy. Like. I'm reading the YouTube comments. There's a lot of beige rage comments. <laughs> in there. You guys are funny in YouTube. Yeah, so uh, four tops right now. Yeah, <laughs> boys to men, jagged edge. 
112. But, but yeah, make sure you check that episode out tomorrow, five o'clock, live on YouTube and on all audio platforms. Then Wednesday we're back with Chris Senegal. The legend. Um, yeah, the legend himself, how to buy back the block at eight o'clock on Wednesday. We're taking over this whole week. Somebody said Josie. We're taking over this whole week right now. So we appreciate all you guys. I'm gonna give the last word to Ian. Oh, you wanna say something for Ian? Yeah, I'm looking at his numbers, man. Let, let's run Bottomwin's numbers up. He's almost at 2,000 people following him, man. Let's run this guy's numbers up. Let's get those guys. Let's get them numbers up. CNBC ain't They that. can't do that for you, but we can. Put <laughs> <laughs> us right CNBC up. and NBC right. Universal family. Yeah, I mean, please, man. Like I said, I mean, that's testament to you guys' brand. That's that's just incredible, man. That's um, That's what it's about. And I, I, I know a lot of people get up and be like, yo, I believe in giving back, this, that, and the third. Um, but, man, y'all y'all put in boot to road. Hats off to them. Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Appreciate Thanks, it. brother. Yeah. You know what I would like to encourage people to do? I would like people to encourage. It is the holiday season. Obviously, we know Thanksgiving is, is approaching. Um, and I'm doing this with a couple of schools right now, but just donating money to families in need. Um, because right now it's a tough time. Obviously, we know with the economy, we're talking about it. But there are a lot of people that are in need. So it, even if it's your, your, the school in your neighborhood, you don't have kids that go there. Reach out to the principal, see if there's families in need, and see if you can donate anything. Um, money would probably be the best, or gift cards. Obviously, with Corona, you know, bringing having a can drive is probably not the most optimal thing to do right now. So, and, and I, I encourage anybody to do that. Or find a family that that's in your neighborhood that could that could use to find some some funds or something just to help them along this holiday season. So please, I, I encourage people to do that. That's a fact. Ian, give you the last word, brother. I've had the word all night, so I appreciate you. <laughs> um, call someone that you love after this. Um, for everyone who's asking about the program, if you go to the link in my bio, I'll put it in there. It'll be free. You can put in your name and email and get signed up there. But Troy Rashad, thank you for allowing me the platform. Um, bottom of my brother, I've been following you for a long time, and I uh, had a blast tonight. Thank you for being on. Likewise, thank you for man. sharing your expertise. Um, cause there's not many brothers in the industry that are willing to share the information. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for coming on the platform and sharing your, uh, insight with us tonight, man. You're amazing. Hey, hey by the way, breaking news alert. They got you to 2000 right now. Let's see what we're going to end by the end of the night. Those numbers are going to be crazy tonight. <laughs> <laughs> they said he has 2000 already, Troy. So <laughs> run it up, run it up, run it up. All right. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you guys for rocking with us. Um, we will see you next week. No, tell so, a friend to tell we'll a friend. We'll see you Wednesday. We'll see you Wednesday. We're gonna, well, I'm talking about Mark and We're going to see you tomorrow. Yeah. But uh, remember, this pie, the podcast will be on all audio outlets at 12 o'clock midnight Eastern Standard Time. So subscribe to Apple, um, Spotify, and uh, leave a comment, rate. Yeah. And then if you missed any part of this, it'll be, it'll be available on YouTube. The playback will be available on YouTube um, within like 40 minutes, something like that. So. Yeah. All right. This is one of them that you're probably going to have to listen to a and watch it a couple of times. And next week, I won't be all in a video with all the questions. <laughs> yo, yeah, do, do, the balance. Do, do the CNBC wave again? <laughs> so I'm like, stop playing me. <laughs> no, like, kudos to, to everybody at CNBC, NBC Universal. Um, yeah. <laughs> love you guys for real well, we love y'all man we'll all see y'all peace. All right, all right, peace. peace thank you man
take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.